This is the Mark Stucheski Podcast. There's no need to figure out how to be more productive on your own. I've done the research for you. I have a free gift. My top five productivity tips for entrepreneurs. All you have to do to get them is to go to top5productivitytips.com. That's the number five, top 5 productivitytips.com. Get my top five productivity tips right now. Absolutely free. Top 5 productivitytips.com. Ross Davies is the owner of Strafe Creative, a digital design agency focused on conversion led design. He loves to find new and innovative ways to improve processes, whether that's in the way he runs his business or in the design process with clients. Ross, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's really kind of you. Now, did I say the name of your company right? No. <laughs> but it's fine. It's Strafe Creative. Strafe. See, I should have asked. See, that's, that's a mistake I made. I just assumed. It made, it made me laugh. It made me laugh. So it's all good. <laughs> well, man, that's why I, I said, you know what? I better ask him if that's how you say his <laughs> name because I don't want anything really awkward. So I'm really glad you're here. We are going to be talking on the show about objection handling, conversion rate, yes. optimization, and just a note for the listener, um, Ross can't spell optimization. He used an S instead of a Z. I don't know what is up with these English people. Uh, but yeah, and we're also going to talk about how to select the perfect design agency. And now you can't see me, listener, but I'm doing this video call with Ross and he can see I'm, I'm sporting my 10X shirt. I have a couple of these black 10X shirts from grantcardone.com. And it's a reminder to me. It's not ever reminded to anybody else. It's a reminder to me to operate at 10X levels. That means do 10X the effort, put 10X the uh, positivity into your life. And that's why this is my work shirt. This is my uniform. So we're going to be talking about Grant Cardone and 10X because Grant Cardone is all about sales. And the guy does have two helicopters in a private plane. And who wouldn't want their own private plane? I think that's probably fair, right? We got to love Uncle G. So it's all good. Yeah. Now, you know, I, I love how he talks about you can't make financial sense to buy a private plane. That's not why you buy a private plane. You don't buy a private plane to show off because it's a very expensive thing to show off. You buy a private plane because it buys you time. And I remember in one of his books, Grant talked about when he got his plane, he was able to see four clients in four cities in the same day and was still home that night with his family. You can't do that when you fly commercial. No, yeah, it's obs uh, be obsessed to be uh, be average. I'm pretty sure that's right. Yes, yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. So you know, I, it's one of those right. Like, there's no way you make any kind of sense of it, but at the same time, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> and, and and here's the thing about private aircraft: there's no security because what do you do? Blow mm. yourself up? I mean, what's the, you're going to blow your yeah. multi million dollar plane up? There's no point of having security on, on a private plane. I'm going to blow up my plane. Um, so let's let's um. Let's talk about objections because I'm fair, full disclosure. I'm going through Cardone U right now, and he talks a lot about objections. A lot of people, they don't understand that an objection is not so much about the person being a uh, being. It's not sold on your product. They have a lot of deal, stuff they're dealing with, and a lot of people put price objection. That's number one objection, which grand and probably you will say that price is never the real objection it's always mm -hmm. something else but it's so easy just to throw out the price objection so how do you ross davies how do you personally deal with objections or do you even suffer from object objections at all 
I mean, yeah, right. We all, we all do. We all have to come at it in a couple of different ways. So the, there's the two parts to it, I guess, from, from my own business. So the first one is at our own sales stage. Like, how do we get over some of those objections? And to be honest, I'm, you know, I've read the, the millionaire, um, booklet so many times that literally just gives you lists and then it gives you your <laughs> scripts that you have to go through. So, you know, the classic one I always like to use is that kind of like, you know, what would you score this out of 10? Mm-hmm. And then when they give me that score, I'm like, okay, and what would make it 10? Like, that's my, that's the mic, like an easily a go-to one. Um, but the other part that's really important from a, a design agency, which is, I guess, where we get involved is when someone lands on your website or reads some of your content or whatever it is for the first time, they're going to have a couple of objections before they want to step forward. Mm-hmm. And some of those are going to be the really obvious things. They're going to be the things like, okay, can I trust this person? Does he do the exact thing that I want him to do? Or do they sell the exact thing I need? And can I trust them? And how many have they sold? All of those are really key. But there's also like to be like softer reasons that we need to make sure are identified. And if we can answer those really visually on site, then the user is far more likely to convert. And they're kind of the two different areas, right? So there's, the objection handling at pure sales stage once we've got them through the door. And then there's the objection handling, which I guess is slightly where my, my experience is, is, is getting them into the funnel in the first place, right? Like what do we need to do to get them to commit to that? And it can't just be about credibility. There's got to be so many more other avenues that we need to consider. Trust is a huge thing because when you are a salesperson, and let's be honest, everyone on this planet, if you're breathing, you are a salesperson. If you're a baby, mm-hmm. if you're a 50-year-old, if you're a CEO, if you're a stay-at-home mom, you're a salesperson. Here's the thing. Trust is huge because if you're dealing with someone, like you said, someone comes to your website, they may have just literally found you like 10 seconds ago. There's absolutely no trust there at all. And we've got a salesperson, a salesperson's good English mark, salespeople. We have got to work on building that trust because why would I want to pull out my credit card for you when I literally just found you on Google? So talk to us about uh, the power of trust. Yes, there's a couple of like key factors that we would normally talk about that are going to be really key. So one of them, and this is definitely, I guess, like a a really easy one to start with is if you've already got some well-known clients in that kind of area, then we want to use their logos. We want to basically steal the trust from these other companies. And that can work in a few different ways. So if you've, if you're already working with them, let's use their logos. If you have been featured on a particular website or in an article or you've you know been on someone's podcast that's going to help build some credibility, let's feature those. So anyone who's higher up the ladder than you, let's steal credibility from them by association. So that's that's a really easy key one for us to start with. And the next one of things third like, party validation. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Um the other ones that you need to then consider are just like, or an easy one to consider on a website because we're trying to answer things in a visual manner here is, are there any big stats that we can talk about in your business? So, you know, if it, if it, let's say you're in a, an IT company. So, you know, how many emails have you helped deliver? There's always some big numbers you can put in there. So even if you're only just starting out and you've only worked with a few clients, there'll always be some really big numbers that you can probably have in there. So kind of relating that back to e, you know, e-commerce with like what we do a lot of and kind of web work is we might talk about the number of transactions that, you know, the amount of money that we've helped make our clients make. 
So we might only have one client, but that client might do 5 million a year in online sales. So I can collectively talk about all of the sales that we've helped someone make. And then that obviously increases the credibility. So that's quite a nice, easy one that we can start with. And this isn't just about web, right? Like these are some of the numbers that should be featuring in your proposals and your pitch decks when you're talking about them. Easy ways just to drop some of that information in. It's going to immediately add a little bit of credibility if they've never heard of you. And let's talk about testimonials because everyone should have testimonials on their website. But the problem with written testimonials, people are like, I don't know if that's true. It goes back to the trust factor. Okay. And especially if you've got this glowing, glowing testimonial that says Ross D. Well, who's Ross D? I think my personal belief is video testimonials are superior to any other version of testimonials. Is that true for you? Yeah, 100%. If we can get hold of video, like that's going to be by far the best things. Whenever we do testimonial on, our, on, on any of our client sites, there's set rules that we insist that have, that have to happen. So the first one is that we always want a photo of the person who's giving you the testimonial. We want their name or, le- or first name or, or hopefully their full name. So we always want to have that. We want to have their job title. If you're in a B2B space, then obviously we want to have a job title. Um, obviously, we need a testimonial, right? Let's not forget that one. Um, and then we either want the logo of the company or we want the name of the company. And there's a couple of reasons for all of these. So the first one is you might not know their name, but you might recognize their face. Mm. So that's always useful. Vice versa, you might not know their face, but you might know their name. In a B2B environment, what's really useful is you might be like, well, you know, I'm just looking, this person here in all these testimonials, they're talking about they're all marketing directors and I'm a marketing director. So they obviously have the same issues that I have. So having the job title in there is a really good way for that person to relate to you, even if they don't know the person. And then the last one is either logo or the name of the company is, you know, it's just a way of, if they want to research that company, there's an easy way of them doing it. And it's a bit like what you just mentioned, Mark, that if you just put a name on there and you have a testimonial, they've got no way of checking that's genuine. So actually some people might want to just go, "Mm, I wonder if this is real. Let me quickly look at that company. Let me just see if that person works there. So those are our kind of rules. Now, all that can still be tied in. If we can get a video, happy days, because it just answers so many of those things. And that's normally why at the start of a video testimonial, they'll have a slight script to say like, oh, hi, I'm Ross. I'm from Straight Creative. And we love working with Mark for X reason. So that's why they bother to explain some of that information up front. It ticks off all of these little credibility builders that we need to have. Yeah, I made that mistake of having just a written testimonial, and I went back to the client that wrote it for me and said, hey, can you record a video testimonial? And that's now on my website, markstuchowski.com, because it's a real person, and she talks about who she is and what she does. Now it it leads, leads to more credibility, and people go, wow, that's a real person. She's on the camera. I can verify, like you said who she is and the organization. Now it gives me third-party validation. I mean, it's third-party in incentive to client, but it just, you reminded me when you talked about the logos, I have a couple logos I need to add to my website. When you said that, I'm like, wait a minute, I don't have those logos on my website. So I've written down in my note here, add logos to my site because it makes sense because when people go to my website and they're like, wow, this guy seems really impressive. But if I add those logos of places I've worked with, I'm like, wow, I've heard of that person. I've heard of that company. Now it makes all the world a difference. So even I, dear listener, just got reminded by something from Ross. 
Does your to-do list have you overwhelmed? When you join my digital productivity coaching program, you'll learn how to get and stay focused, become untangled from the chaos of your to-do list, experience less overwhelm, and have time to do what you really want to do. Sign up today by clicking the coaching tab at mrproductivity.com. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks. There you go. I'm done now. I'm okay. off. <laughs> Mic drop. We'll see you later. Thanks for, thanks for tuning in. All right. Let's transition over to conversion rate optimization. You know, I remember when I used to do a lot of webinars, you'd have a whole bunch of people sign up. Maybe let's say we'll take an even number because I like simple math. You have 200 people sign up. You might mm -hmm. get, maybe get half that show up. And then the people who actually stay to the end, that number is even smaller. And the people actually buy is even smaller. So if you're doing a webinar and three people show up, you're pretty much against the eight ball. So it's not enough just to get people on your email list or to sign up for your webinar or to express interest in your product or get you in their, your funnel. You have to get them to convert, whether that's signing up for an email or to actually buying a product. So what are the, some of the strategies that you use that help better conversions, get better conversions? Yes. Yeah, so one of the really easy places to kind of start is what are the standard questions that people are constantly re-asking like, oh, what about this? Or can I learn about that? And I think we get so used to answering those as part of our sales strategy that we forget that there's other ways that they could be informed of that. So, you know, if they've just warmed up and they've not come through to your webinar yet, there's no reason why you can't start dropping some of those potential kind of objections into them beforehand. Say, hey, you might have this concern, like a simple email to be like, hey, you've had this concern. Well, X, Y, and Z help for this reason. So trying to answer some of those potential reasons earlier is is a really key one. And never, I would say the main one that I'm constantly surprised by is like never underestimate the stupid reasons that will stop people from moving forwards. <laughs> so, um, you know, try to give you some examples here. We worked with a company who sells hot tubs. We sell hot tubs online, you know, jacuzzis. I'm not sure what you call them in America. That's hopefully it's that. Um, but what we were finding is that the main demographic of person who was buying those was slightly older. And what we were finding is when we're looking around on like forums and people discussing the type of ones that you have, and this is obviously pre-COVID, but what they wanted to do is they wanted to get as many people through the door to come what they would refer to as a wet test. Okay. So come along, try a load of the hot tubs out at the same time. And what we found was one of the main things that stopped people coming along is because they were of an older um, generation, they didn't feel comfortable getting into swim shoot or swim shorts and being in there with someone who is much younger of the opposite sex. Ah. Now, from our point of view, we can't just put that on a website, right? We can't be like, hey, pick a man or a woman. Like, you can't do that. <laughs> so we had to come up with like a really visual way to get that across. So what we did is we actually spoke about each staff member, about their likes, their dislikes, their hobbies, you know, the hot tubs that those guys have and why they have them. And then we allowed people to then book in with the person they wanted. And we more than doubled conversion rate just from that one thing going live. And it's little things like that, that, you know, taking that slightly offline and the fact that maybe as part of your sales pitch or as part of your marketing, you can talk about the fact that, you know, you can pick who you want to have, you can have these things. That's an objection that you would, ne would never even occur to us if you've not done that research. 
And they're the things that can go completely unmissed. So in conversion rates, we're far too busy focusing on just credibility, mm. not considering all these smaller little details. And these are what compound up, you know, Grant Cardone talks about this, right? Like it's all these little changes, all these things that can compound up to make big differences. And it's the same sort of idea with that. I'm aware I've gone quite e-commerce with that example, but that's a really nice one that hopefully explains some of the things that we can all hopefully relate to. And I think it has to, the onus is on the the seller to really listen. You mentioned research. You've got to listen. If you're always talking, you can't hear what they're saying. And if you can't hear what they're saying, you're probably going to lose the conversion. So I remember the day my podcast started taking off is when I really started listening to the guest. In the early days, I was worried about making sure I was doing everything right and looked right and sound right. But I reached the point where, okay, I, I, I've got this stuff down. Now I'm going to really listen to what the guest is saying. And you have to do this when you are in sales. You have to listen because if, if to your point, if you're not, if there's something out there that they're not speaking of and you're like, man, why am I not converging, converting? Well, because you didn't really listen to what they were saying and like the t- hot tub example. And I think people are so in a hurry to make the conversion that that hurrying, that rushing through it is costing them conversions and, and sales. Yeah, 100%. I think one of the, you know, to kind of continue that kind of point is, I generally also find one of the things is when you are asking those questions, if you can try and remove yourself from it. So for example, rather than saying, you know, what's the, you know, what's the reasons you're moving on from your old web agency, because they might not want to have that pinned on that person. Mm-hmm. We might instead talk about the industry as a whole. So what are the main issues you've had with our industry in the past? And that can relate to everything. So I generally find if you don't keep your questions too related to yourself as a company or related to another company in general and keep it more industry specific people have naturally let that guard down and they'll give you more information that they might not have given you previously very interesting one one of the things i heard that i do when someone trusts you enough to give you their name and email is to put them in a welcome email sequence so mm-hmm. let's say your email comes out every wednesday at two o'clock in the afternoon and they sign up at 201 if they don't hear from you until the next Wednesday, they're going to like, this is spam. This is rubbish to use the word that my English friends use all the time. You know, they're going to go, what is this? But if you, if you dump them into an email welcome sequence and, and you say, okay, Hey, thank you so much for signing up for the XYZ newsletter. I am thus and such. This is what you've gotten yourself into. And that's what I do. My welcome email, you get that as soon as you sign up. But then over the next three or four days, I actually send them value. I say, here's some tips for you, some productivity tips. So what I'm doing is I'm building up credibility and trust. And they just gave me their name and email address. They haven't given me any money. But I also have those email sequences when someone spends money. Because as you know, Ross, when people spend money, they're like, Oh, did I make the right decision? But they start getting emails from you and says, Hey, Ross, you made the right decision. This is what you're going to learn X, Y, Z. And now what you're doing is like, Oh, okay. Yeah, I did make the right decision. Now they're validating the decision. But if you just say, Hey, thank you for your order. Here's a receipt. Now they're going to start regretting. Ah, did I make the right decision? Right? 
Yeah, I think buyer's remorse is like a really key one. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know how easy it is to send something back in America, but it's definitely something that even I do now is like, you'll buy it and two days later, you're like, "Mm, let's just send this back now. So, so definitely if we can, even when they've given us that money, we still have a, we still have a job to do, right? We still have to do some general convincing to let them know that the decision that they've made is the right one. But one of the interesting things that, that we found is regardless of the amount of money that that person spends with you, actually, if we can get some money off them to start with, even if it's like a penny, the likelihood of them staying with you is way higher. There was a guy who, uh, another kind of, another example was, a guy started selling guitar plectrums and his main bit of his business was uh, making bespoke guitars for people. So he went on eBay, he went on Amazon, he basically came up with the cheapest way he could and he was selling plectrums at a penny each and he wasn't trying to make money on them. He was just trying to build a list. Mm. But because he built that list and he'd done that, he was then able to then sell to that list and because they'd already, even though it was like pence that they'd spent with him, there was a there was a little bit of trust there and he did exactly what you did, Mark, which was he messaged them and he put them straight into a welcome campaign, right? So he was like, hey, your plectrums are en route, but let me give you a load of value. Let me give you some like free songbooks. Let me tell you about this and how to look after your guitar. And here's some recommendations on the amps that you should have. Oh, and by the way, did you know I make guitars? <laughs> and it's, it's like genius, right? Yeah. Well, see, we don't think about that. We're like, yes, I made the sale. And, and let's be honest with you. Yeah. Let's be honest with each other. When you're first starting out, if you sell something for a dollar or a pound for you over in England or a euro, that might as well be a million dollars, a million pounds or a million euros because you made a sale. Now, if you're like yeah. Grant Cardone, you're like, yawn, I made 20 bucks. Who cares? But when you're first starting out, I remember when I first went in the business way back in 2005 and someone gave me $300, I was like, I felt like I was the richest person in the world because I made a sale. And that's the big deal. But what I didn't know then is what you and I are talking about now is, okay, someone gave us the money, whether it's, I think it's funny, pence. I haven't heard that word in a while. Pence or a penny or a pound or a euro (laughs) or a dollar. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the quantity of money is. They're like, did I make the right decision? Even if they just gave you their email address, you have to say, hey, I want you to know, number one, you can trust me with your email address. I'm not going to sell it, but you made the right decision because buyer's remorse doesn't just happen for people who are buyers. If they buy into your email list, they are buying into your trust. And so I don't want people to think buyer's remorse only has to do with money. No, I'd agree. And that should be interesting to your point on this, Mark, that I would I would argue that actually getting someone's email address is much a much bigger deal than getting like ten pounds or ten dollars out of them. Yeah, and like because actually once you've got them in there, you've got to prove that you've got to, and and because what's worse is like they might stay on your list, but they might never read it. Yes. So like, how can you get them to commit to that? If we only ever get that first that lifetime value is only ten dollars out of them, it's, it's of no use to us, right? So, it'd be interesting to hear your point on that, but like. Do you consider that the same thing? Would you say that it's more, it's harder to get an email than like a small sale? Hey, you listening to the Mark Strachowski podcast. Thank you so much for doing so. I really appreciate it. But are you a Mark Strachowski insider yet? This is my free email newsletter and you can sign up right now by going to mrproductivity.com. M-I-S-T-E-R, mrproductivity.com. Well, 
what I found is, well, you can't keep people from not signing up for your email list. So I've got people on my list that have never replied to an email. They don't open emails. They've never bought anything from me. And I was going to delete them off the email. And then I heard Grant Cardone, one of his videos on social media said, you just keep sending people emails over and over again. He goes, I've had some people who are on my list for 10 years. And all of a sudden in one year, they spent a hundred thousand dollars with me. You don't give up on these people. Maybe they're not, they don't have time to read your emails. Maybe they're going through a health crisis or their loved ones going through a health crisis, whatever case may be. Don't worry about that. You just keep giving them value, keep giving them value, keep giving them value. And eventually people like, you know what? This guy's been giving me value for so long, or this gal, if you're a female, been giving me value for so long, man, you know, what, what does he have? Does he got a membership? He's got a course. He's got t-shirts. What does he have? Because you've proven yourself. Some people, I heard from Grant Cardone, it takes 30 touch points for people to buy something from you. 30. Mm-hmm. So if you're sending out one email a month, that's 30 months. If you're sending out one email a, a week, that's 30 weeks. Now, what Grant suggests is you send out one email a day. Russell Brunson does the same thing. And I always came about it like, man, that's a lot of emails. But here's the thing. Most people aren't even seeing the emails. That's why you post so many times on social media. Number two, if they don't like it, they can always unsubscribe. Okay. Number three, why worry about it? Okay. People are getting so obsessed. And I was one of those people getting obsessed about, oh my gosh, someone emailed me and said, stop emailing me. And I'm thinking to myself, all you had to do is hit the unsubscribe button. I'm always like, oh yes, of course. I'm so sorry. And I take care of it. But most people actually read my emails. They're just not taking the time to hit reply or to purchase something, but I'm going to keep hitting them because I know eventually they're going to reach a point that says, you know what? I've heard from this guy enough. I want his stuff. Yeah, I also wonder if it, especially if you're already giving great value, it's the other person that has to get there. They have to meet you halfway, yes. right? So like if they're mentally not there, and even if they're enjoying your, they're enjoying your material, like Grant Cardone, again, where he's getting a lot of shout-outs here, but um, <laughs> it's a prime example, right? They're like, when you first set up your business, you might be like, there's no way I can afford this two and a half grand that you want. But then actually, as your company grows, two and a half grand isn't as much money. So then all of a sudden, it's like when you do get that email, you're like, yeah, I'm physically ready, like mentally ready, and I can give you that money now. It's not that you weren't getting value before. It's just that you couldn't afford it. Um, and what, so what's interesting, well. what's interesting, some grant call uh, says that maybe your price point is too low which really terrifies people who are just starting business. Maybe people go, you know, you're charging $5,000, but if it's not at least 20 grand, I'm not interested. I mean, you won't know this, obviously it's, it's a guessing game, but a lot of people won't buy if the price point is too low. That's something you got to think about. They may go, yeah, you sound good, Ross. You're giving a lot of value, but it's only $9 a month. How much value am I going to get from $9? So yeah. we got to think about that as well. Yeah, I think, I mean, to honestly, again, in all honesty, and I don't mind kind of sharing this, but like we lost a project last week because we were much cheaper than the other three agencies by like 20K. Wow. And I was like, we'd gone in at what I thought was quite a high amount. I was like, oh, I feel like we probably got in too high. Wow. And they came back and they were like, really good proposal, really like like everything that you were offering, but 
the other three proposals were just higher and he said it was just a case of well you must have misunderstood the brief slightly wow and it was as simple as that and you think <laughs> you think oh no what a mistake um so yeah those things are going to happen so um ne- never never consider yourself kind of priced out of it it works in both directions right you can price yourself out in a bad way as in too high but but too low is definitely a thing as well absolutely well the last thing we have to talk about is how to select the perfect design agency i mean we have this thing called the internet i don't know if you've heard about it ross they have the internet over oh, in, no. in, in, Go on. in- <laughs> i've never heard of it but but people yeah i think it's gonna stay around for a while um with the internet i mean people can do so much research on their own from the comfort of their home in their jammies with a margarita or whatever your beverage of choice is next to you but the question is how do we actually find a design agency that we can work with what are what are some tips that you would give us because yeah, we found X, Y, and Z, or as you say, X, Y, and Z. We found them, but how do we know who's the right one? I think a lot of it's going to come down to like the preferences of what you want. But but for me, there's going to be a couple of key things. And I know we've already spoken about a few of these, but with the first thing for me is you want to look at the portfolio. You want to see if the portfolio not only is good, but suits the type of style that you want to go for. Because most agencies will have a bit of a style to how they appear. They'll kind of be led by their creative director who's in there. So there is going to be a little bit of style that you need to take into account. Other thing to consider as part of that portfolio is to just does that any of that portfolio kind of match what you do. Now, I don't mean that, oh, if you sell X, then you should only find a developer or an agency that does the exact same thing. But, you know, if you're in the tech space and they've got lots of tech portfolio, it makes sense that you would cut, they'll already understand a little bit about you. Whereas if all of their portfolio is of schools, then they're probably not going to know your sector very well and understand it. So there's going to be things like that that we need to consider. The next one is overall kind of size of the company. And this is a good one and a bad one. So you might find a couple of agencies with like three or four members of staff. And that's not a problem. So you can look at that and go, well, that's great because I'm going to be important to these people and I'm going to be handheld through the project. And I know I'm going to get these things. I'm, you know, I'm going to get that level, potential level of service that I'm kind of after. Um, on the, on the, uh, I guess on the negative of that side as a, as a con, they might not necessarily have as much experience as a, as a larger agency. So you're not necessarily going to get some of that. You then start to get to the kind of the 20 to 50, uh, people kind of size in an agency. And you know that you're still going to get a fairly decent service, but you're probably going to be paying a lot more money because they're going to have a lot more to kind of cover. Um, and that might be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on the size of your business as well, because I can completely appreciate if you're, if you've got a couple of hundred members of staff, you don't probably want to work with an agency with only two or three members of like of their team because the, the two probably don't marry up. So, so actually being able to see the size of an agency is probably quite important because it can kind of just help you gauge kind of where they are. Things that we've already spoken about now, which is like, you know, credibility. Can I trust them? Do they have reviews? Do they have some really nice testimonials? That's a really good one. And and I think the most important one for me is like, I just want to speak to them. So sometimes, yeah, you know, you're going to get sold to, but just pick up the phone and have a chat with them and ask them some fairly poignant questions. So, you know, how quickly, I think if someone's willing to give you the price straight over the phone, then they're probably just cookie cookie cuttering projects out. So if you were to go like, how much is an average website? And they just, and they don't, and they don't rebuttal and they just go, Hey, it's 10 grand. Then you probably know that they're just going to do some of the process for absolutely everyone. 
where if someone says, how much is your average site? And then they go, well, it depends on a couple of factors. We need to consider X, Y, and Z. Uh, there you go. Uh, then you know at least, uh, a bit like you mentioned already, Mark, that they're willing to listen. They want to learn more about you. And they want to make sure that they're tailoring the approach to you. And I think it's just too common at the moment that you kind of just get the same thing as everyone. Um, and that's kind of, I understand that there's a point to that at the moment. There's a lot of websites where you can build your own site. But also all that's happening with that is, is you get the same website as someone else with a different image at the top. It's really hard to personalize that experience to your type of user if you're just using a template the same as everyone else is using. Um, obviously, I'm going to say that, right? Like I'm a web agency owner. But, uh, <laughs> well, let me ask <laughs> you this, because one of the things that. that Grant Cardone talks a lot about, and I kind of see his point, he said, websites are dead. Landing pages are where it's at. Now, if you don't know what that is, listener, a website is you go to markstuchowski.com. And there's my website. A landing page is if you go to top5productivitytips.com, you get taken to a landing page. The only thing you can do on that landing page is sign up for my email newsletter. You can't check out my coaching, send me a message, get my social media links. So do you agree with Grant? I mean, I, I'm not going to, I don't want to put you on the spot here and ask you to disagree. I got to believe you're a Grant no, Cardone fan. Can, you probably agree with the landing pages are where the magic is, right? Yeah. So like it's a really standard conversion technique, right? So if we give the user too many options, then we can lose them. And that's the benefit of a landing page. You send them to one page, they can do two things. They do the thing we want to do or they leave. Yep. <laughs> and that drives up conversion rate. So that's a really easy, good thing to do. You just need to make sure that that landing page is giving enough relevant content and credibility building to them to do that. And that's standard that we would do in our site. So we might build a standard site. As in with, I don't know, it's got a certain number of pages and it's doing all these things, but we'll always build a couple of landing page templates so that they can be pushing individual advertising to it. And we'll normally do one with like a form that pushes them into a set list. We might do one with a product that they can buy. And we might do one with like just a talking head to get them to maybe sign up for a webinar. So it's really useful to have those variations. But yeah, definitely landing pages are still incredibly important. And it's a really good conversion technique if you've, if you've not used those to take advantage of that. Well, as we come to the end of our time together, I have two final questions for you. The first one is, is there anything left on your heart that you feel you want to share with the audience? Oh, that's a good one. Um, no, I think, I think to be honest, we did that pretty well, mate. We got through a lot of information there. So from my point of view, the objection hunting and the other bits like that were, were really key elements. I know we've already spoken about kind of Grant Cardone, but one of the big areas that I now always move to, and I listen to books every single day, but I, I rarely read because I just do everything through Audible. Mm -hmm. So I was just going to say that if you have yet to read any Grant Cardone and you want to have it, there is nothing better than having him in, in your yes. ear with his <laughs> with his voice, ad-libbing through all of his content. Yep. Um, and he'd be a really, really good one to start with. I remember when I listened to the 10X Rule, he was talking about... I think the word he was using, I, I actually, I don't know what word he's using, but he stopped. He's reading the audiobook and he goes, okay, this is something the editor put in there. Cause I don't know what this word yeah, means. Yeah, and yeah. I would never use it. You know what, you know what I'm talking about? It's, he just ads yeah, yeah. like that. The guy is the real deal. Uh, I tried to get him on the show because back in uh, late October, early November, 2021, he put a post on social media. He says, Hey, if you want me on your podcast, send an email and I'll be on your podcast. And apparently he got hit with so many. 
he couldn't make it on my show, but he will be on the Mark Stuchowski podcast at some point. I can yeah, guarantee you because he's it's that it's on the goal list. It oh, is on the goal list. So the final question I have for you, Ross, is where can we go to find out more about you and what you're doing and not Strafe Creative? So don't go there All because right. you're not going to find it. <laughs> so where can we go to find out more about you? <laughs> Uh, so it's uh, strafecreative.co.uk. Strafe is Sierra Tango Romeo Alpha Foxtrot Echo, and the word creative. Uh, I'm also on Twitter, which is just Ross underscore Davis. And Davis is D A V I E S. All right. And that's it. Well, now you said your name is Davis. Yeah. Okay. Davis, well- Davis. Oh, okay. So I was going to say, because whoever signed you up for this call, which I'm assuming was you, they said Davies. So I was, yeah, I think I don't mind. It it flips between them. Okay. Very good. That's definitely one. I don't mind. I'm just like, okay, that's fine. Cause it's kind of, however you're going to read it. Right. Excellent. Well, Ross, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was a delight having you here and learning more about, you know, objections and third party validation and how to hire agency. You gave us a lot of value. So thank you so much. And thank you so much for having us. It was really, really kind of you. I've had a, I've had a good laugh. So it's been really good fun. So thank you very much. I am so thankful that you listened to this episode of the Mark Stuchowski podcast. You are why I do the show. And I know you have a quadrillion different options that you could have spent your time with today, but you chose this episode. And I want to honor you. I want to thank you because you really do make me want to do this show as often as I do it. I have a free gift for you. My top five productivity tips for entrepreneurs. All you have to do to get it is go to top five productivity top five productivity Pick up my top five productivity tips for entrepreneurs today. It's my gift to you And until we meet again next time, my friend, thank you again for your time and attention. Now take what you learned on the show and go apply it to your life.